whatever you think will leak out of your body somehow or another, unless you're a trained spy or a con artist, which I'm guessing none of your listeners are, but if, if you're not, then it's really hard not to let your thoughts leak out somehow or another. So if I take myself back to that moment in those boardrooms, you know, I was probably thinking, do I know enough? Have I got enough experience? Do I really understand how this all works? There would have been some enoughness issues going around, you know, swilling around in my head. And so if we think we're not enough in any way, shape or form, we're not experienced enough, old enough, smart enough. You know, I think a lot of women say to me, but I work with really smart people. It's like, yeah, but they hired you. you, you you've got to be very smart too. Anyway, so whatever we're thinking will affect how we use our bodies. It affects how we breathe, it affects the words that we say and the tone of voice that we use. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this edition of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a Quantibus coach. My guest today is Emma Louise Weiner. Emma is the founder and CEO of Speaking at Work. Welcome, Emma. Hi, thank you, Brian. I'm really pleased to be here. When we were talking before we began recording, you said that you work with leaders to help them speak like the leaders they are. And I jokingly said, that can't be much of a challenge. But we both know the truth is, it's a great challenge for many leaders. What attracted you to this area of work for yourself? I think there's, there's lots of bits of it. I, so I was uh, the only female on a board for about a decade. And so I really experienced what it's like to, to be a woman in a senior position and be surrounded by men. And, you know, I had the classic scenarios of, you know, I'd say something and then a few minutes later, someone else would say what I just said and then everyone would go, that's a great idea. And I'd be like, didn't I just say that? Um, and those kinds of things, I would be interrupted quite regularly. Um, you know, I get kind of like, I'm just gonna stop you there kind of things happening. And in the end, it became, that became my strategy. It's like, well, I'm just gonna see this idea now because I know at the next board meeting, that's gonna come up and someone's gonna say, let's do this. And I go, that's a great idea, let's do that. And it was just a much easier process. And I just thought, this is not fun, this is not fair. And if it's happening to me, it's happening to women everywhere. So when I finished my master's degree in voice coaching and training, it's like, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm getting back out there and I'm gonna help women not have to go through this every day when they go to work, because it's just annoying. Emma, I know that experience of, didn't I just say that? What prevents leaders, and in particular, what prevents women from speaking as the leaders they are? I think with women, I think a lot of it comes down to mindset, because whatever you think will leak out of your body somehow or another, unless you're a trained spy or a con artist, which I'm guessing none of your listeners are, but if, if you're not, then it's really hard not to let your thoughts leak out somehow or another. So if I take myself back to that moment in those boardrooms, you know, I was probably thinking, do I know enough? 
have I got enough experience? Do I really understand how this all works? There would have been some enoughness issues going around, you know, swilling around in my head. And so if we think we're not enough in any way, shape or form, we're not experienced enough, old enough, smart enough, you know, I think a lot of women say to me, but I work with really smart people. It's like, yeah, but they hired you. you, you you've got to be very smart too. Anyway, so whatever we're thinking will affect how we use our bodies. It affects how we breathe. It affects the words that we say and the tone of voice that we use them. So if I went back and watched videos of me in that boardroom, I would almost certainly see myself not taking up enough space. I would almost certainly be using hedging language going, well, I think this is a better direction for the organisation. Or I think I'm not sure that's strategically the right idea rather than this is not the right idea for us. So I would have been using language, body posture and tones of voice that would not have suggested to the rest of the room that I was as smart as or as capable as I genuinely was. So I think with women, that is a lot of what gets in the way is how they're thinking about themselves. I think that's true of others as well, particularly those who show up in some way in the workplace as different. Yes. whether it's uh, ethnically, racially, um, sexual identity, and so forth. And, and I fall into that latter category. Until you are ready to acknowledge who you are fully, you're not going to speak up fully. No, no, I think it's completely true. I mean, my experience of that is and I'm neurodiverse. I didn't know I was neurodiverse. I'm dyslexic, quite profoundly dyslexic. I have a degree and a master's degree. I read all the time i would never have thought i was dyslexic but i always felt like i was smart but i never felt intelligent i always felt like i was less than everybody else and so i was working really hard to prove myself so i think if you feel other in any way shape or form that again that just feeds into that i've got to prove myself in this situation or i have to you know mask in this situation um there's lots of ways that we will kind of protect ourselves. And again, that just feeds into that sense of I'm different, I'm not enough. And it makes communication really, really hard because we're not com communicating from that really authentic place. But I have to say, when I discovered I was dyslexic and I had the diagnosis, like, oh, <laughs> all that explains it then. And it was a complete relief to be able to go, oh, I am smart. I just learn differently and I express myself very differently. So I can be very uh, verbally agile she said stumbling but I can be very verbally agile but I find it very difficult to do that in writing so you know when we accept where we're strong and where we've got limitations again and we're really straightforward and I'm honest about that our communication becomes so much more effective thank you for raising neurodiversity and neurodivergence as yet another important other that is much more common in the workplace than most of us are even aware. Yeah. One of the things that's really important to me about this conversation, the challenge is clear for the leaders you're speaking of. I'd like to address the challenge for those who lead them. Mm. What's important for leaders of those who whether women or or others of difference, what's important for those leaders to do, say, be, in order to really foster 
everyone speaking as the leaders they are? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think the first thing I would say to anyone who's leading other people is just be aware of this concept. I've named this perceived competence. Um, It probably has a proper title. I don't know. But perceived competence. So when anybody walks into a room, when anybody comes into a meeting, when anybody presents an idea, they'll do it as themselves. So they'll stand, they'll talk, they'll use the tone of language, they'll use gesture in ways that suit them. So you might have you know, someone who's very introverted to someone who's very extroverted. As a human being, we read the other person. So we read their body language, we read their tone of voice, and we immediately and instantly categorize them very simplistically as threat, as, you know, foe, or as friend, as good or as bad, as in uh, competent and less competent. So we, we have a relationship in our heads between somebody's ability to speak and their competence. There is no relationship whatsoever. You can have someone who's dreadful at presenting in a team meeting and incredibly good at their job, but we conflate the two. So if somebody's very good at presenting, very good at speaking, super confident, we assume that they're good at their job. So if you're leading a team, I would just say, take a moment and notice your bias because we we, we all have that. It's, It's just there for everybody. So just notice that that's true for you too. And then start to think, well, is it about ability or desire to speak up? So if you've got someone who's pretty introverted in the, in the room, they, they're not going to have the desire to speak up, but they may have great things to share after the meeting. So how do you get them to come out of themselves? If you think that they could be skilled, they could kind of learn some new skills, they can develop confidence, then get them out there. Because if you're thinking they're not as competent as they actually are, then other people in the organisation are thinking that too. And then that's going to stall their progression in terms of career and and generally quite significantly as well. I often speak of two key responsibilities for leaders. One is to do everything you can to set up for success those who report to you. And then the other is to get out of the way and keep the road clear ahead of them. Yes. (laughs) And, and so what that implies underneath those two things and, and what I hear you saying is as a leader, you have to know not just the role the person is filling, not just the resume they brought to the job, but the whole person, Mm -hmm. the whole person in ways that don't necessarily show in a job description don't necessarily show on a resume, Mm. but only show in honest and open communication and transparency. Yeah. When I was uh, in that previous job that I was mentioning where I was on a board member, one of my team members was very, very smart, very good and didn't enjoy team meetings at all. And so I, I would just call upon him in the meeting and say, what do you think? You know, is this possible? Can we do this from a logistics perspective? You know, who is my logistics person? And you know, I would often get kind of like sort of slightly dear eyes and kind of uh, sort of shake of the head. And I was like, okay, he thinks this is a terrible idea. And then he would come to me later and say, no, we can do this. We can do that. We could explain how we could get this thing done. And then I realized after a couple of weeks, oh, months of working with him, it's like, ah, oh, he just needs more time. I need to allow him to absorb the data. So I would often talk to him before the meeting, say, listen, I'm going to talk about this today. I think this might be a really good idea. I'd love your input on it. And I'd give him all the data so he could read the data. And then in the meeting, 
I would call upon him for a, you know a slight comment, but often he would come to me afterwards and give me more detail. I knew that that wasn't his best scenario. So you're absolutely right about understanding how we can facilitate the best out of in individuals in all kinds of communication scenarios. So I wanted him to develop the confidence to speak up in the meeting and know that it, it was okay for him to get something wrong, to say something that wasn't correct and we needed to change later. That was all right. We had, it was a safe space to do that. But it, it took me a while to really think about how can I leverage them. And my, my MD was going, bad hire, bad hire, bad hire. I'm like, no, good hire. I just haven't cracked them up yet. And what you were saying is one of those important roles of a leader to really know the person and keep the, the road clear ahead of you mm -hmm. so that your manager and director doesn't say, tell them goodbye. Yeah. Early on in this podcast series, I did a podcast called The Introvert Difference. And some of what you're talking about now seems to fall into that category. Some people, and I'm absolutely one of them, don't do good when an idea is thrown at me and I'm expected to just react, respond. I can say something, but it's not what I would say if I had some time to reflect on that idea. I think part of the, the formula that you're adding, if you will, is sometimes, and, and this is certainly, again, true of me, sometimes even more comes out about that idea after I've been asked to reflect on it. And so giving me the opportunity or me feeling empowered enough to say, you know, I've thought about this some more and I want to change this about what I said and I want to add something else. Again, being that leader that enables that kind of dialogue is so, so important. Mm -hmm. Emma, would you give us, you've given us a, a couple of little stories about your own experience. Would you share a, a story about one of your clients and absolutely from a confidential framework where their working with you has really made a difference in helping them speak up as the leaders they are. Sure. Um, but there's, there's a few to choose from, so who am I going to go with? Um, okay, so the, one of the women that I was working with, she was pretty senior in her organisation, but she was really wanting to get into the exec team. And she kept being told, not quite leadership material, we're not quite leadership material. She was younger and she was also small. She was very petite and not very tall, and she worked... Uh, in a country where the men are generally very tall. And so she was surrounded by these very tall men. She was very small. And she was finding it difficult to get traction in some of her meetings. She was trying to change policy. She was trying to change process in one particular area of the business. It was going to make a big difference. And she just was really struggling. And so we kept, we spent some time and we, we worked out what was happening with her body posture when she was talking and her CEO was a very tall man and slightly competitive and she realized that in these meetings he was letting his thighs make her smaller so as the meeting went on her spine would roll her shoulders would drop and she'd just get smaller and smaller and smaller and she was small to start with and we worked on this process of her feeling like she could take up enough space and also that him being combative 
was not saying no. That was just him getting information. And she, she was able to kind of take up more space. Her spine was longer. Her shoulders were broader. She was able to kind of push back and with his nose or his questions with more information. And three months after we finished the program, she was made up into the exact team. So it was just about her taking up more space and not being fearful that her taking up space negatively impacted on anyone else in the room. And that's something women generally struggle with. It's like, well, if I take up my space, I'm taking it from someone else. But you're not. You're just taking up the space that you have a right to. It doesn't negatively impact on anyone else. Big difference. I'd like to go into this more because typically when we speak about speaking, we're talking about verbal voice. And you mentioned this early on and, and talked about it again in this situation, that speaking is really about how we show up as a whole person. It is about posture. It is about body language. It is about, you know, am I focused on you or am I sort of off somewhere else when I'm talking? It's all of those things and more. How does one assess themselves? to know that there are ways that they can be present differently yeah. to empower them to speak differently. Absolutely, you're totally right. Speaking is a whole body process. So in the Western world, we tend to think, so I'm, I'm indicating my head here for those who are listening on the podcast, uh, we tend to think that we think a thought and it comes out of our head. We speak it, it comes out of our mouth. What we don't realize is actually speaking is a whole body process. So your body is telling a story. Your gesture is telling a story. The way you breathe is telling a story. The words are telling a story. The tone is telling a story. And all of that needs to be congruent. If it's misaligned, I say, I often say to people, it's like watching a Nike ad. So you've got your athlete in there on the track, in their Nike kit. They're all ready to do their run. And you've got some kind of folksy music going on in the background. It's like, it's kind of really jarring. So when, when our body, breath, thoughts, voice are aligned, then we look and sound like we are the expert that we really, really are. So how do you audit? So I think the first always, always, always start with what are you thinking? So I would say notice those thoughts. If, if you're in any way trash talking yourself, talking yourself down or suggesting that this is going to go wrong because you haven't done enough preparation or they're going to ask you about slide 27 and that data, which if you're really shaky on, if you're thinking any of those thoughts, they're going to affect the rest of your body. So I would start there, think about your thoughts. And then I would look at body because body is your biggest piece of communication asset, if you like. So I would look at how are your feet on the floor? Are you, have you got them both planted on the floor? Are you wandering around? Then I would look at things like shoulders. Are your shoulders rolling in? Are you not taking up enough space? Are you clasping your hands in front of you and doing what I call T-Rex gesturing, which is when you've got your elbows clamped to your sides and you do these funny little tiny hands in front of you, which are absolutely useless. I would be looking at those kinds of things. And then you can start, once you've gone all that, you can start to think about what your breathing is doing and then you can start to think about voice. And then and only then can you start to think about the words and the content and the structure of what you're saying. So really, it's the mind and body bit that has to happen first of all. Otherwise, you don't have a good foundation to build everything else on top of. A lot of my work has to do with story. And one of the things that I will say to my clients is we are all incredibly good storytellers. 
even if you don't think you are, because we're telling those stories to ourselves about, I'm not sure about the data on slide 27, or what if they ask me a question that I'm not prepared to answer or whatever. We're telling ourselves those stories all the time and we believe them and they affect how we show up and, and who we are in the moment. So I, I did a TEDx talk a few years ago and, and quoted a TED speaker who said, change your story and change your life. And, and it truly is true. Yes, I completely agree. I was thinking about another, as you were saying that, I was thinking about another client of mine. She used to prepare for every meeting. She would have note cards and note cards and literally days and hours worth of prep for every single meeting. She said, I, I can't do off the cuff. I've got to be prepared. I can't do off the cuff. I'm like, every time you think that thought, every time you think that thought, you're grooving it into a belief. You've got 10 years experience doing this particular job for this particular organization. You are definitively an expert. You know, if I asked you any question now, you could answer it. And, and she wouldn't believe it and wouldn't believe it. And then after about three months of coaching, she's like, oh, yeah, I get it. I am an expert. I don't need those note cards, do I? I'm like, no. <laughs> but it's your right. If we tell ourselves these stories, they become beliefs because we've repeated them so often. They become fact. And, and actually, they're not. They're just, it's a feeling that we might have based on something that may have happened once, perhaps when we were at university or first you know, job. Nothing to do with who we are now. Or even back in elementary school. Oh, yes. Even. <laughs> Henry Ford is quoted as saying, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> Emma. What else about showing up and speaking up as the leader you are would you share with our listeners? I think looking at the gain instead of the gap is really, really important, right? We, we are, our brains are designed to look for flaws, to look for danger, to look for gaps, to look for problems, right? It's what keeps us alive. Um, so we're very used to thinking about ourselves in those terms so when I'm coaching one of the first things I ask so when anybody ever's done a, a, a speaking I would say to them what did you do well and I can guarantee you I would bet my house on this for about the first two months of coaching they will tell me everything they've done wrong they'll give me a laundry list of I didn't do this and I didn't pause then and I didn't da -da 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 -da, all the things they did wrong and I just let them go and I say well, what was the question and they're like oh yeah you asked me what I did well didn't you and they're like, um, uh, and then they're scrabbling around to try and find one thing that they did well. I would say if you're a leader and you are a speaker as well, because all leaders are speakers, I would start to be focusing on what are you already doing well? What is it you are really good at? And how could you leverage some of that? We don't want to overdo it, but how could you leverage what you're already really, really good at? If you're doing that, you're starting to feel that sense of enoughness. Then take one thing, the one thing you think could really move the needle on your speaking, on your leading, and focus on doing that and getting that better, rather than thinking about that laundry list of all the things you still can't do yet, uh, and ignoring all the things that you can, because otherwise we just stay stuck in that, oh, I'm still, I still can't, oh, I still can't, despite the fact that we've actually really improved and gotten a lot better with all kinds of things. 
we don't notice that part of our journey. So for me, that's key to being a good leader and modeling good leadership to the rest of your team. If I can add to that, some things each of us are never going to do well. And so how do I leverage the ability of those who can do those things well in the moment to move the needle forward? That to me is part of being a true leader. Yeah, I think if you're working in a, in a team, then that's about, that's about the group wisdom. I, I mean, you know, if I go back to my, my corporate days, you know, my team knew that I was not the person to ask about tech or Excel spreadsheets. Ever, 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 ever. And in fact, my team now tell me off. I tried to do something tech last week and I messed everything up. And they're like, do not touch. So um, I think often it's about leveraging that group. I had people in my team who I go to and say, I need to do this. Can I get your help on it? And then giving them the credit. So when I then presented or when I talked about like, I'm, thank you so much, so-and-so who did my Excel spreadsheet, couldn't have done it without you. So that I'm really showing up I'm being honest about what I can't do and, and saying thank you to, and giving credit to the people who helped me do it. Because it can be really easy to stand there and kind of take all the credit. And it's actually, well, I didn't do the research or I didn't do the spreadsheet. You know, thank you too. Um, I think it's also about giving opportunities. So I work with a couple of organizations whereby if a junior person does the research on something for a senior person who's doing a presentation, they allow that junior person to do at least some of the presentation, if not all of it because they've done the work. And so I think that a lot of it is about giving credit where credit's due, giving opportunities where opportunities can be given because you're allowing your team to grow and you're also allowing them the space to go, I'm really not very good at that. Um, so I think honesty and transparency is very, very, very important there. So for me, the bottom line, forgive me for the spreadsheet, term there. The bottom line really is for me to speak up as the leader I truly am requires me to be intentional about making that happen and my leader to be intentional about providing the safe space for me to do so. Absolutely. Yes. If we don't feel safe, we can't show up as ourselves and we end up masking and then our skills and our our values and our qualities don't get shown up. So yeah, we need to feel like it's okay for me to be me and shine in this space. Emma, thank you so much for this conversation. Pleasure. It's been really fun. Thank you, Brian. <laughs>